You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. 18, 20-year-old, you know, dying by himself, 10,000 miles from home. And usually they were unconscious, but occasionally they would be awake. And they could grasp what was happening. Former Vietnam War Army nurse Winnie Smith. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Memorial Day is an occasion to pause and honor those who have given their lives in military service. But we can also remember those who went to war to save lives. In 1963, a 21-year-old student nurse named Winnie Smith joined the Army. And in 1966, they sent her to Vietnam, where the war was escalating. She was there until 1967. But it wasn't until years later that she realized that she, like many of the servicemen she had treated, was suffering from PTSD. I met her in 1992, when we talked about her book, called American Daughter Gone to War. So here now, from 1992, former Army nurse Winnie Smith. It started as a self-therapy when I was suddenly hit 16 years after I'd returned from Vietnam with post-traumatic stress disorder, having a lot of flashbacks, a lot of nightmares, uh, unable to stop crying. And what I wound up doing was writing as a self-therapy, and after uh, two years, when I was feeling much better, I went back and looked at some of the things I had written and realized that they were very good. And I just had this incredible need to share what I had experienced with other people so they could learn what war is about. I mean, in this United States, it's just it's, it's so impossible to comprehend war because we are so fortunate. Here. Why do you suppose there aren't more books by nurses who were over there? Good question. Um, I mean, is, it, is it that they're not writing them? Is it that they're not the publishers aren't publishing them? Is it that they somebody thinks we don't want to read them? What well, the? you know, I understand that there are three or four other books coming out this year by women nurses. So I guess that there's been kind of a delay. I could assume perhaps that they've gotten married, they have children, they've gotten very involved with uh, care. You know, if I had had a child before I started the book, I don't think I could have written it uh, because it is very time-consuming uh, and and very emotional. What, I was just going to say, once you got into, once you decided, okay, this is going to be a book, were you afraid of what was going to make you remember no, because the reason that I was writing the book was that I was remembering and, and it was, I was needing to write to control my mind. I, I found that when I sat down to write perhaps flashbacks that I could control my mind and that without a pencil and pen, I, I couldn't stop the flashbacks. I couldn't, I couldn't gain control of myself. But it's two different worlds, isn't it? Then and now? Oh, yes. Not not just the pain that you must have dredged up, but all the things you dredged, the, the mindset, the language you use, which, uh, you know, is, is very frank, is very forthright. The attitude, I mean, the, the, I mean, I would imagine that now, as we sit in 1992, you are perhaps, you have perhaps a different attitude if you yes. see someone before you who is in blood yes. than you would have had in 1966 when you saw someone in front of you covered with blood. Yes. 
But, you know, most of the book is based on things that I wrote during flashbacks. And that's why the language and the sense of the book is, I think when you read it, you feel like you're in Vietnam. You feel like you've just come back. You feel the confusion and everything because it was written when I was basically re-experiencing, uh, re-experiencing <laughs> those years. Uh, and I couldn't do it now. I mean... If I tried simply to recall that that time and to write it from memory, I couldn't do it. There, there are times when I sit back and I read the book now and I think, oh my goodness, I had forgotten all about that. Because writing, writing through a flashback was like sitting in front of a movie and writing detailed description of the movie while you're watching it rather than a week down the road trying to remember all the details in a movie. Almost like being in hypnosis and you write down and then you come back later and say, wow, did I write that? Yes, and that's a lot the way flashbacks felt. You know, I mean, I can remember being hit by one once when there were friends to dinner and we were all sitting at the table and I was suddenly hit by a flashback and I started sweating as if I was really there. And I literally was reliving that experience and knew that they were at the table, but just like when you're really involved with a movie and you know that other people are in the room with you, that's the way it felt. And I understand that hypnosis is a lot like that, that you don't really lose touch with what's going on around around you, but you're much more focused on something that you're pulling out of your head, out of your mind. Of course, you understand that most of the people that you're addressing with this book, our only knowledge of what an army nurse does in wartime is Hot Lips Houlihan. <laughs> and that's the image that we've got, yes. accurate or inaccurate. Yes. I mean, well, we didn't have time to uh, have all the pranks and things, that they, all, the, all the fun that they seem to have at the Nash Hospital in Korea. Um, but China Beach was about Vietnam. Right. And, you know, I mean, China Beach really pushed, and I guess I, I, I actually relate better to China Beach because it felt more like Vietnam to me. Um, the thing about China Beach was, I mean, it did push buttons. There were t- episodes when I would really cry because it would bring up things for me that I had experienced. But there were other parts of it that I realized had been made more palatable for the American public. Um, I mean, we, for instance, were not allowed to, I mean, it was illegal for us to cut off our long fatigue sleeves men were not even supposed to see our arms. Now, we did cut them off because it was impossible to work in the hospital with long sleeves. But we, for instance, never ran around with T-shirts and dog tags dangling. We never wore shorts. We didn't have red sports cars. There were no prostitutes on base uh, with round beds and, you know, in in a church-like building. Um, But that's Hollywood. That's Hollywood. Coming up after this short break, Winnie Smith on the casualties that affected her the most deeply. Now back to my 1992 interview with former Army nurse Winnie Smith. But, you know, I remember talking to someone about the fact that tour of duty struck me as much more real, uh, as, as more true to what Vietnam was like. 
and they said that they couldn't watch Tour of Duty because it was too real, but that they watched China Beach. And if that's what it takes, and, and a lot of people who watched China Beach were very affected by it because they saw things that they aren't normally aware of, like expectants, you know, the patients that we allowed to die alone because we didn't have time to spend with them while we were trying to save other people's lives. And those were some of the patients that really hit me the hardest. I mean, 18, 20-year-old, you know, dying by himself, three, you know, 10,000 miles from home. And usually they were unconscious, but occasionally they would be awake. And they could grasp what was happening. Made harder by the fact that help, if you had had, if anybody had had time, was just a few steps away. Right. Yeah, there, there, yeah, there are parts in here that are, that are difficult to read. Uh, knowing what you must have had to feel is just as bad for you. In a different way. In, 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 certainly, in a, in a, physically, <clears throat> in a different way. But uh, right. you came through the war just as scarred as many Inside, of them. Yes. But you know, all, all. Uh, I think. Most soldiers who go to a war zone are deeply affected, especially, and they they figure it's, I believe, one in 20 that's actually on the front lines. And it is the combat vets, the guys who are actually on the front lines, and the people in medical areas, the corpsmen and the nurses and the doctors, who are the ones who have the highest incidence of, of post-traumatic stress. Um, but... It, there's no doubt that everyone in a, in a situation like that is affected. You know, even if what you did was to work behind a desk in a relatively safe area, you were aware of all the things that were going on around you, and it was raising a lot of questions about, you know, whether we belong there and how you felt about being there and how people back home were reacting to soldiers and who had been there and things like that. So... Every, all, everyone who is in a situation like that is affected. And, and you yeah. also get a very different response when you come home. If you had come home from the Persian Gulf War, you would have been a hero. But a lot of the Persian Gulf vets are having trouble now, also. Um, you know, at World War II vets, I can remember speaking with my father 40 years after he'd come home, and and it, he was still affected by two weeks that he spent in the European theater, you know. Well, certainly it, it does change you, but it's got to be a lot easier still when you come home after a war yes. that, a good war, that you were on the right side and everybody was behind you, yellow ribbons and heroes and ticker tape parades and yes. things. Yes. But when you come home to, as many of our GIs did, to empty airports or to, you know, people spitting at you. And well, the classic, you know, people... The, the guy that I sat next to in the airplane when I was coming from Travis to uh, New York, getting up and moving when he found out that I had been to Vietnam. You know, um, You're in town this week now for the uh, the, the Vietnam Veterans yes, Memorial? Yes, the 10th anniversary plus the groundbreaking ceremony for the women's uh, memorial. There are some people who would say it's about time. Oh, thank you. <laughs> do, do, is, do you feel that way too? Oh yes, I. I'm really glad to see it happening because I feel like it. It kind of really makes the women feel like a real part of of that whole that whole effort. And right or wrong, when we, when we went over there, we we put forth our best effort. 
for our country. We, we were serving our country. And no matter what the political aspects of it, you know, we were, we, we, we gave a lot. And it feels good to finally feel welcomed into, you know, feel a real part of the, uh, recognition. Is it difficult for you to walk along the wall? Oh, yes. Because yes. obviously you, you know many of those names, I would guess. Yeah. Well, one of the protective, one of the things that your mind does to protect you is after a while you stop remembering names, you stop remembering faces. There are a lot of, uh, a lot of people over there whose names I can't remember. Um, yeah, but I, but I sure remember their faces still. Does, does it, does it surprise you in any way that people still now, ten years later, leave all kinds of things at the base of the wall, medals, books, teddy bears, letters? Yeah. See, there. I think there are probably still a lot of people out there who have not healed from the war. They haven't had a chance to slow down and spend two years writing a book or um, who are still pulling themselves up by the bootstraps and not allowing themselves to think back on that war and to finally once and for all cry and and you know once you let the pain out then you can let the love in or the you can let children and and you can let you can let light and happiness and joy into your life but as long as you're holding that down you can't do that and i believe that what you're seeing is that every year more and more of us are letting go of the pain. We're coming, and that's what's so wonderful about the wall. It lets you do that. You know, uh, over there we couldn't go, for instance, to a funeral and say goodbye to someone. You know, they were there one day, they were gone the next. And this way, you can go to the wall and say that goodbye. You know, let go. I guess my greatest hope is that that there is a healing on both sides. You know, there's a lot of a lot of anger still from vets that that they need to let go of, they need to release because of what happened to us when we came back, and and then you know the other side too. The and that's happening first. It seems like a lot of people who did not go over there and and who have for a long time misjudged the vets. I think they're beginning now to understand and to appreciate so that's it feels good you can find easy amazon links to winnie smith's book at our website heardeverything.com is this your first visit to now i've heard everything well thanks for finding us and thanks for listening we post new episodes here every monday wednesday and friday and you can find us on all major podcast platforms and our entire inventory of past episodes is on our website heardeverything.com and thanks for listening Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, the newspaper man who had a vision, had an idea, and he made it a reality. My 1990 interview with USA Today founder Al Newharth. The things that I enjoyed relating the most, because I learned the most from them, were my failures rather than my successes. I, you know, I've blown a lot of things in my life. A lot of things I've tried didn't work. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Mm-hmm.